It's the Face of Chicago Business Podcast, introducing you to the stories behind the faces, focused on fixing today's problems with thoughtful leadership and purposeful living. Sit down with us as we get to know the individuals who make our city second to none. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce, and this is the Face of Chicago Business Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jesse Nunez. Jesse, thanks for being here, brother. Man, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. No, it's our pleasure. Southside guy, huh? Southsider. Now, uh, you went to Mount Carmel. Yeah, went to Mount Carmel High School. I had the joy of playing with uh, some people you might know, like Simeon Rice and Donovan McNabb. Uh, unfortunately, I had to block Simeon in practice <laughs> every day. crazy, man. Well, you are a big guy. I mean, so I'm assuming it was pretty even back then. No, I was big and really skinny. <laughs> really? Simeon was built like a man beast from the, from the beginning. How big is your uh, your family? I mean, I guess you come from, from a big family. So a, a lot of, uh, like my mom and dad are small people. They're, they're not very big, but my uncles are all big. Gotcha. So a, a lot of my uncles on but both my mom and dad's side are big guys. So I, I got my, my height from them. How tall are you? 6'3". Yeah, that's pretty big. I mean, yeah. And you're a big guy, too. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so brothers, sisters? I got one brother. Uh, okay. One older brother, five years older than me, paved oh. the way of getting in trouble. Yeah? Yeah. So kind of followed in his footsteps? <laughs> no, no. Everything like everything he did was ultra blown out and bad, so I, oh, really? I, I, can, I can get away with little things and still be kind of a good kid. You know? <laughs> it worked out. Man, it worked out. And now, so I mean, one of the things that we talked about is that you actually tried to uh, pursue football a little bit, but something came up... Uh, you know, right yeah. around that time, right? Yeah, well, I, my senior year, I, I was unlucky and uh, dove for a pass that Donovan McNabb threw at a scrimmage game. Oh, no way. And separated my shoulder. Really? Uh, right before the first game of the year. No. And uh, in, uh, at Mount Carmel, the competition's tough to begin with. Yeah. So you're, you're fighting guys off to play. And obviously, at, 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 in senior year, you lose your spot. You know, you're, you're not going to get the offers and, and opportunities you would have liked. I did have some offers with smaller schools and, you know, opportunities to walk on bigger schools. But... Uh, at the same time, when I was a senior, late in my senior year, I was expecting a daughter. So I uh, decided uh, there was one thing I always kind of wanted to do in my life, and that was join the Marine Corps, and it was a way to support my family. And I decided to do that instead. Well, Semper Fi. Semper Fi. <laughs> so what, where did that, um, I guess, desire? Because I, I know for me, being first generation, I didn't know anybody that was in the Marines, so I just kind of saw it as like a cool uniform, and everyone said it was the best. Right. Well, I mean, if you're going to sit in a foxhole with somebody, I want it to be with, with the best, right? So, Absolutely. You know, we're covering each other's back. You know how that goes. Amen. And, uh, but my, my draw, I think, to the Marine Corps, I have an uncle who was actually Sergeant Major of Army Boot Camp when I was in high school. <laughs> and uh, my dad's like, why aren't you going to the Army? You have an uncle that's the Sergeant Major of Boot Camp. I'm like, I want to be a Marine. I want to I fight with the best. That's, I want to be the best. So uh, I had a couple cousins who had, had gone through the Marine Corps. And uh, I've always just had an attraction and uh, looked into it. And I did test for all of them. I, I didn't yeah, really yeah. make a, a one bullet decision. But uh, the people that I engaged with most and that that I think uh, I reflected with most were the Marines that brought me into, into the depot, right? They, yeah. They were Hispanic guys. Uh, they were local guys from, from the area. And uh, – I just loved their presence and the way they carried themselves. Absolutely. And uh, it was different than when you walked into the Army recruiting office and the, and the Air Force recruiting office. And uh, being, you know, educated in the Catholic high school, I did really well on the, on the entrance test. Yeah. I could have went to any of them. Yeah, for but sure. But it was really the way the Marines carried themselves and, and how, they, how they showed me uh, what a military guy should act and be like. And uh, that's what drew me there, man. Yeah, I, I had that same experience. I mean, I think I was standing outside the uh, – the recruiter's office and both the army and air force came out and offered me money 
uh, to come, you know, like, hey, we, you know, we're offering these scholarships and right, these right. bonuses. And I was like, eh, I'm no, good. Well, yeah. we, we didn't offer me anything. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Marines didn't offer me anything. Yeah. I, I definitely didn't get anything there. Right, right. So, so you, one of the things you mentioned was if it had it not been for your desire to be more present with your daughter, you probably would would have retired, right? Absolutely. I, I loved uh, every minute of the Marine Corps. Uh, it's a... Uh, a place where you earned what you got. It didn't matter what skin tone you were, what religion you were, how big or small you were, who you knew, you know, are your, are your parents friends with the coach? None of that stuff, <laughs> right, right? right? You earned what you got. And uh, if you were a good Marine, you got promoted. Yep. And if you were a good leader, you became a leader. And if you weren't, you didn't get, you didn't get crap, right? Right, right. So uh, I just loved that aspect of the Marine Corps, not to mention you, you travel the world, right? Uh, you get paid to, to blow things up and, and fire <laughs> weapons and, and meet great people and, and become team members with great people. Uh, some of the most influential people in my life are still uh, Marine leaders that I had you know, when I was in the Marine Corps. Yeah, I know. And uh, I loved it, man. I loved every bit of it. But if you plan on spending time with your family or your daughter, that's not the place to be. Not going to happen. And uh, that's the one thing that just weighed heavily on me. The first four years of my daughter's life, I think I seen her for four four months in a week yeah and uh it just it weighed on me you know yeah. and, and that's what made my decision to get out of the marine corps and that's why you know we, we always need to thank not only the service members but the families who support them because it's just as hellish of a job sometimes absolutely man you're you're not there with them man. yeah you're you really out doing your job and when you get to see them it makes it so much better but you don't get to see them a lot absolutely yeah. so so you get out um what happens then so i get out and uh at, at the i didn't tell you this part I got a job as a bodyguard initially, <laughs> and uh, I mean, was fitting the cliches, right? Oh, fitting the cliches. Well, I mean, where else am I going to get a job? No, I was an yeah, anti-terrorism yeah. security forces marine guy, and uh, and so I got a job. And the first couple jobs were really boring and dumb. I can't even tell you what they were. But the last job that I had before I quit the bodyguard services, I was guarding Cigar the racehorse, not as the main like guard, but one of the the guards guarding Cigar the Racehorse at Arlington Park. Okay. During that whole Triple Crown run. Okay. And I'm in a three I'm in a three piece suit, <laughs> ninety eight degrees, humid as hell, standing in a stable full of shit. Right. And I'm like, this just isn't for me. Like this, this is not the job I want. I don't want to want to continue to do this. And uh, eventually decided to to leave that. And, and luckily, I also applied to be in the uh, low voltage electricians union here, at local one thirty four in the city of Chicago. And uh, that came through. So as soon as that came through, I'm like, I'm done with this bodyguard and thing. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. And uh, joined the electrical union. And, and that, that really, 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 really was kind of the beginning of the rest of your life, right? In a sense of what it would lead to. Absolutely. Because it wasn't just what you got, what you thought you were getting yourself into, right? right? Well, and, and growing up in the South Side, right? I'm, a, I'm a son of a steel mill worker. And in, in our neighborhood, if you got a job in the union, man, you were set for life, right? That's, that was the end goal. Like, hey, you got a union job, you're going to get benefits. You'll never have to worry about, yeah. you know, losing your job. The union will take care of you. And I thought a little bit differently than that uh, growing up and, and seeing uh, the opportunities out there in the world and being able to leave the south side of Chicago and travel the world a little bit with the Marine Corps and seeing all these opportunities that were out there. Uh, while the union, I think it's a great, it's a great thing. It, it definitely helps working class folks make a good wage. Uh, but you're kind of capped, right? Once you yeah. become a journeyman and, and you've reached the top, that's it. You're not going to make any more. It's a very comfortable life. You get great benefits. But for those who maybe want to reach above that, 
the union just wasn't for me. Right. And not only that, I mean, one of the things we had talked about before too was just the mindset, right? Is sometimes when you grew up in an environment, you can be trapped by a certain mindset. And, and for you, it seemed like that, that was kind of not necessarily the, the only option, but probably the best option for you. Right. And, right. And, and, and that mindset of this is where you should be thinking and not beyond is, is very commendable for you to even like, I think get to that point where you're like, nah, this ain't for me. I want more. In the South side of Chicago, all, all the, all, everybody I knew, all their parents, all their fathers worked for the steel mill. Yeah. Right. Our whole neighborhood worked for the steel mill. And we went from a very, and I think this is what changed my, my thought of that. That whole neighborhood that we lived in went from a middle class to high middle class neighborhood where everybody had expendable money. Everybody can buy groceries. Everybody owned their home. The steel mills closed. Everybody was instantly poor. Yeah. Like instantly poor. Wisconsin steel closed. U.S. steel closed. All the steel mills closed. And not only me and my family, but all my friends, all of my uncles, all of my, my friends' fathers, instantly out of a job and we're all scraping. And how old were you at this point or what, uh, what time of your life? Probably a seventh and eighth grader, somewhere gotcha. in there. I was in, I was in, uh, still in, in elementary school. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't just my family. It was everybody I knew had the same exact problem at that point. So old enough to know, but not old enough to do something about yeah, it or not, feel like you could, right? And, and honestly, it was more of a, a, a subconscious thing. Like I, I seen my parents struggle. I seen my dad struggle, who's the hardest working man I've ever known in my life going from working every day to being laid off and doing odd jobs to just make ends meet. My mom went to work full time for my whole life. And, uh, just, I think subconsciously I took all that in yeah. right? and, and saw, well, the union really didn't help him yeah. when the steel mill closed. Right. Luckily, I think it had been five years after he was laid off, he got a city job and, and got back in the city union. But, uh, subconsciously, I think I took all that in and seen that man, it could end in a heartbeat, right? They, right, right. Th- that company can close. Your union can shut shop. Your fate is on someone else's hands. Your fate in someone else's hands, right? And and again, I I praise the union. I think it's a good thing for the workers that want to make a fair wage, but uh, at the same time, it doesn't mean it's forever. And especially in today's day and age, no one works at the company for twenty years anymore, right? right? Uh, everybody and it's not for everyone job. either. I mean, you and it's not for everyone. Yeah. yeah. But subconsciously, I learned in the South Side of Chicago that. No one's going to take care of you, even if you're in the union. For sure. Right? So when I did get an opportunity to get that union job, I learned as much as I could. Uh, it was a low-voltage electrician. Uh, you put in high-end electronics and data networks and that kind of stuff, and I learned everything I possibly could. And uh, got to the point where, okay, now I'm a journeyman, and I'm making the most money I'm going to make. And I'm working next to a guy who maybe is not as good as me, but because we started at the same time, we're making the same amount of money. For sure. Right? So... That was my issue that I had with the union. Like, hey, man, I'm really busting my ass here, and I'm doing the best I can. And this guy takes 10 cigarette breaks, and, and he's making just as much as I am. For sure. So uh, I had an opportunity to start a company and leave the union. where we It was during the building boom, you know, when, when everybody was given loans to build these high-end homes. And I, I saw a big need for low-voltage electronics in homes, right? Everybody wanted an entertainment system. They wanted a theater room. They wanted whole house, whole house audio yep. and uh so that was my skill set and i'm like why aren't, why aren't they doing this for myself and uh so i left to do that and, and do it residentially and for a commercial had you been project. doing it on the side at that point or was it just you saw an opportunity like i'm just gonna go for it uh, i was doing it on the side for family right yeah, so yeah. someone would call hey you know i know you know how to do this can you help me put a home theater in so i would put it in and do it for family i was doing it you know just helping out and making a little bit of cash and then uh, at the time i was contracted at a big fortune 500 bank to to do their Te- telephony project and trace out lines and 
And so um, it wasn't a really physical job. So I had time after that to work another four or five hours at night where I wasn't physically drained like I was. I was working a hard construction job. Sure. And um, so I was kind of slowly building uh, what became Aztec Audio Video uh, during that time. And then when the building boom hit and everybody was just building these high-end homes and, and they were giving them crazy loans to do it, I just saw an opportunity and decided, you know, that's enough. I'm, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to go for it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really awesome. So at that point, I mean, it really kind of took off into you had a full-fledged company. You're not thinking about anything else. You're focused on one thing and then someone approaches you with uh, an opportunity, right? Right. Well, so that low voltage company turned into building and designing man caves and high-end homes, right? right. And uh, so it wasn't only electrician. We were, we were designing the rooms. We were making these awesome, cool man spaces, whether it was uh, a home bar, a home theater, a humidor, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, I was doing really well and had some time to step away from the business and let some of the other guys run with it. And this is still under Aztec, right? This is under Aztec. Gotcha. So I started playing a little bit of professional poker. Oh, that's right. That's right. right. Yeah. So I was How playing I a little forget? bit of yeah. professional poker, <laughs> and I was doing really well. The first time the World Series of Poker came to Chicago at the Horseshoe, I finished seventh. That's awesome. Yeah, so I was doing really well playing poker. And Had I was, you always been into poker or just no, get into it? No, I just I, I got into it because it was on TV yeah, everywhere. Like, yeah, the World Series of Poker. It was a big that. thing, yeah, right? The yeah. whole moneymaker phase is, where yeah. everybody wanted to try poker. Yeah. And I, I ended up being pretty good at it. And uh, there was a home, there was a show here in Chicago called the Windy City Poker Championship, which is still on today. Watch it on NBC <laughs> Sports Chicago. Great guys. Um, they, uh, they have a great local poker tournament scene that's recorded for television here in Chicago. And I made a couple of their final tables. Mm. And so, you know, while you're on the final table, they got to know what to say about you. So you kind of fill out a dossier, uh, became friends with the producer. Oh man, you built, you build man caves. I'm like, absolutely. And I, long story short, I ended up building him a man cave. That's awesome. And, uh, he, uh, built him a poker room. He's obviously connected with NBC sports. Chicago introduces me to the program manager and, he basically pitched a home improvement show for me is what happened. He's like, this guy builds awesome stuff. Check it out. Here's my basement before. Here's my basement after. You know, would you give him a shot? And the response was, well, we'll give him a shot, but we're not sure we can put it on television. Like, right, like we, know, right. we know you do good work. We don't know if he does great production work. For sure. And uh, so they gave me an opportunity is what they did. They said, listen, go shoot a pilot. If it's good enough, it matches our demographic. And if we like what you're doing, we'll, we'll, let, you, we'll let you bring the show on. So I had a decision to make. I'm like, I really don't do this. This isn't what I do. I don't do television. I put it, I install stuff. And right? it's all from a poker game. It's all from a poker game. And, uh, and, and meeting the right people, right? Yeah, Taking yeah, opportunity, yeah. which you have to do. Absolutely. And uh, so I had a decision to make. I'm like, do I give this a go? And I decided, well, I don't know if it's ever going to be on television. I don't have any clients who want to be on TV. I don't have any, you know. Like you said, it was a hard, a hard thing to get hard. people, right? To, to At agree the time, to. it was. Now I think everybody wants yeah, to be on TV. No, no. But like we would run into a couple where the, the, the husband wanted to and the wife didn't. For sure. Or the wife wanted to and the husband didn't. Or they were, well, we're just going to do this mild remodel, and I can't put a mild remodel on You needed television. something substantial. I needed right. something substantial that's really eye-popping and, right. and, and full go. So at that, at that very moment, I didn't have that. So I thought, well, I have a home, and I do have a theater room, and I have a garage that really needs some work. Why don't I just shoot it at my own house? And I brought two really, really good friends of mine in to be the homeowners. And we rebuilt my my theater room into a really great theater room with a small bar in the back. And we rebuilt the uh, the garage into the poker garage. Yeah, I got two sponsors to cover both of them. And That's uh, so cool. recorded it, concepted it, pitched it, 
and had an opportunity to put it on NBC Sports Chicago. Wow. And they took it. And they took it. Yeah. Four seasons, right? Four seasons. We did four years. We did a a bunch of different projects. Some of them, some shows were an hour long and didn't finish the whole project. Some were half hour and were quick. But uh, we did a bunch of different shows. Uh, We did a a full stone and poker room, a home bar, a humidor, a theater room, a billiards room, the poker garage. We did an outdoor show that came at the very end where we called it the Sportstacular Yard. But all really cool man spaces. Right, right. Because when you watch, let's face it, you watch Home Improvement today, it's not really... Uh, geared towards the men. Yeah, it's not really geared <laughs> towards the men, you know. Right, and right. Uh, we, our show was all geared towards men. And I think that the thing that made our show work the most was we were able to highlight local contractors. When you watch HGTV, you can't right. call that guy to come right. to your house. When you watched our show, if you needed an electrical work or you needed uh, a, a coating for your floor or whatever it was you can pick up the phone and call these contractors because they're right here in Chicago. And I think that's really what set us apart and and made it work. Yeah, no, it's accessible. Mm -hmm. That's definitely what we're trying to go for, you know, with the face of Chicago business. So totally get it. But, but now you're in, in TV, now you're in the biz, right? Who knew? (laughs) Who knew? (laughs) But, but I, but that's kind of where you're at now, right? With what you're doing, uh, essentially what kind of got you into that space, right? Right. So we built a great relationship with NBC sports Chicago. We provided great content. It was engaging. People wanted to see it. And I had an opportunity to, to pitch a combat sports show. Yeah. Right? Because I, I love MMA. I grew up boxing. I boxed at, at Mount Carmel. Uh, I grew up boxing in the south side of the, of the city. Love boxing. At the time, you know, boxing was on its downfall. MMA was on its way up. And uh, I love watching MMA. I think it's yeah. the most exciting sport in, in, in all of sports. And, and you were, not to cut you out, but you weren't around during a time when the Marine Corps actually converted into more of the MMA, right? No, we had close combat. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, it, the line training, right? It was line training. It was a little bit more jujitsu than it was yeah. anything else. But but now, that well, not now, because I guess they canceled it too, but we had guys, when I was in, yeah. that were going down to Tijuana and fighting yeah. down there. Well, it was stuff, combat combatives, it was called. Yeah, yeah. Like they were they were learning, I mean, some cool stuff. And so, but anyway, yeah, so, but you had a passion for it even before, you know, I guess that it was mainstream, right? Right, I did. And, I, you know, I, I think 92 was the first UFC and uh, started watching it from way back then. It was engaging, it was exciting, it was new. And then as the UFC became more mature and, and had regulations and weight classes, it became more of a mainstream sport. Yep. Dana White's done a fantastic job with building. He oh, built yeah. a sport. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. people don't give him enough credit. The yeah. guy built a new sport. When's, when's the last new sport to come online? You know, No, period. Yeah, yeah. Period. Yeah. MMA is the only one I can think of. Right. So, uh, you know, I had a huge passion for it. Had this great connection now with NBC Sports Chicago and wanted the concept an MMA show. They gave me an opportunity to concept the show. And uh, the first show we concepted was called Fighter First. And what we did is we traveled the Midwest fight circuit, meeting up-and-coming fighters. And, and we'd, we'd go to all, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the promoter would say, hey, man, my 145-er, best in the country, 10-0, this is the guy. You'll see him in the UFC someday. And he goes out and smashes this guy. Great interview. And that first show, I swear to God, I thought I had a million-dollar show. I'm like, man, this is the best show ever. So then we go down, you know, back in Chicago, promoter says, hey, my 145 is the best ever. Ain't no, this is the guy. Smashes his guy, 20-second fight. Indianapolis, 15-second fight. Omaha, Nebraska, 30-second fight. I'm like, oh, my God. It's the same story over and over again. If you watch the first one, you'll love it. The second one's boring. The third one, you'll never watch again. Yeah. And uh, what I realized really quickly is there's this really talented core of fighters in every little region. Of, uh, of of this uh, of the United States, and they've beaten the best two guys in Wisconsin. They've beaten the best two guys in Nebraska. They've beaten the best two guys in Indianapolis. And then 
they've got to, you know, get their record up there so then they beat anybody they can and they get no exposure because they're doing it in front of a thousand people. They get no experience because their fights are 30 seconds long. Yeah. And, you know, there's just no hierarchy for those guys to get noticed. They get lucky. There's no structure, right? There's no structure, right? Yeah. So that I want you to, I want to ask, I ask this question of everybody that I talk about MMA about, right? What if there was no NCAA basketball tournament? How would the NBA know, and the NBA know who to draft? Right, exactly. How would the players develop their talent? And how would the fans know who the next Steph Curry is? Right. Right? MMA is caught in that rut right there. Because yep, yep. there's no exposure for their amateur fighters that are on their way up. Yep. And that's, what we're, that's where we're going to change the game. We're going to give these guys the exposure and experience they deserve so that they build value behind their name so that they're worth something when they go to the pros. I mean, you're essentially doing – it's almost like you're building your own – you know, uh, I guess even, I don't want to say league, but sport in the sense that from an amateur perspective, it doesn't exist, right? Well, I, I don't think we're building a sport. What we're doing is we're filling a gap in a very young sport. Yeah, true. No, right? I like that. I like so that. if you look at basketball, the NCAA was around 20 years before the NBA. Right. The NCAA football teams were around 20 years before the NFL. Right. MMA is backwards. Right. It took 20 years for someone to figure out, holy crap, they need an NCAA version of this. And that was us. We just got lucky. So how long has it been around for now? Well, uh, uh, 25 years. No, so, you're, you're oh, oh, our you, league. Yeah, your league. Uh, we've been around. We're going into year six on the books. Okay. We did a full year of R&D. Right? I needed to know where this fit. I knew I wanted an MMA uh, product. I just didn't know what product it was going to be. I didn't want to be the eighth best professional promotion in hell in Illinois, yet right, the, the right, country. Right. Uh, the UFC is doing a fantastic job at the, at the top. You've got Bellator and... and World Series of Fighting at the time. Now they're PFL. Uh, you've got Combate America. Right? You've got all these other leagues that are coming up that at best have B or C level talent. Right. If I came in, I'd have D level talent, right? Mm -hmm. So who's going to want to watch D level talent? Nobody watches single A baseball on television. Right. But what people do watch is the NCAA basketball tournament, the college football championships. And why do they watch that? They watch it because it's the guys that are going to perform at the highest level in the NFL and the NBA where they got started. And that's what MMA was missing. And it took a full year to really figure that out, what's missing in the sport. And that was our target. That's what we created. Now we're in uh, going into our fourth televised season. That's amazing. Well, congratulations on that. Thanks, brother. So, so as an entrepreneur, like what, I mean, it seems like you, you took on something pretty big. I mean, beyond yeah. blocking, you know, a, a Super Bowl champion and you know, joining the Marines. <laughs> well, and, by the way, that yeah, was not that, fun, and, and he, he, beat, he beat me pretty bad every time. <laughs> Simeon's a stud. He is a stud. He is a stud. But so, so you're doing all these cool things, and now you're, you know, you're in a, in a very competitive sport to begin with, but then in a business that, that really involves a lot of your um, – you know, it's your involvement, I guess, in it to make sure that it gets to where it needs to be. It's not like it's going to just do it on its own. Yeah. What has been some of the biggest challenges you face along the way as, like I said, an entrepreneur? Right. So f five years in now, I realize why it hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. yeah, this is tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, we logistically, cost-wise, uh, convincing people that have been doing it some way for 25 years to do it a different way. It's tough to do that. And I, I honestly, knowing what I know today, I may have had some reservations five years, six really? years ago. Uh, because I didn't think it was going to be that tough. I thought, oh, yeah. I mean, it's a hole. Why wouldn't somebody want to fill this hole? There's right. money to be made here. And convincing, I, it, six months in a row, I got kicked out of MMA shows. I got kicked out of gyms. People didn't want to talk to me. You're not an MMA guy. 
you know, where do you train? Who's, who, who's your black belt under? I don't have a black belt. You know, I, I don't train under anybody. Well, then you're not an MMA guy. We don't want to talk to you. No way. And uh, it, it's six months straight, right? And the promotions, after I explained what I wanted to do, believe me, local promotions don't want to see you coming because you're, you're changing the game. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's going to be in your favor and not their favor. For sure. So there were promoters who I talked to early who I, I want, this is a funny story. One guy think, I think he thought I wanted to do a television show around him, right? So I, I came in to talk to him, and I told him straight off the bat, I don't know what we're producing. I know we're going to produce something. Here's my credentials. Here's the stuff we've done before. We're working with NBC Sports Chicago. I just want to know more about the game. And he, in his brain, it was like, he's going to do a show about me. And when it didn't come out to that, this guy just blackballed me to everybody. No. Yeah, oh, he's a liar, and he's this, and he's that, and don't believe him. And so it made it even worse here yeah, in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and honestly, I didn't, I didn't lie to him. I didn't tell him. I, was doing, I, <laughs> right, right. I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. <laughs> and uh, it just it came out that way, right? Sure. But, and uh, I ended up having to go to the West Coast where there was a little bit more MMA. Uh, buy-in already at that point? Buy-in, and they were open. They, were, they seen it more as a business and not as a territory. Mm. It's, it's kind of weird to say that. Sure, sure. And in the Midwest, it's a very territorial thing. This is my little nook of MMA. We don't want you. Gotcha. Where in the West Coast, there's a lot of pro fighters out there, and they see it more as a business. Where's the best opportunity for my fighter to fight? Gotcha. Right? Where here in the Midwest, this gym fights for this promoter, and that's it. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. gotcha. So out there, we, uh, an MMA uh, UFC athlete, Sam Alvey, uh, we met with Sam. We talked to Sam. We explained what we wanted to do. And Sam's like, I love it. Like, I came up the hard way. I fought in, in, in front of 14 people in a bar once, like, it, there was no fun. There was no exposure. I get what you're trying to do. We want to do it. He trains with Dan Henderson at Dan, Hen mm -hmm. at Dan Henderson's gym. And uh, so he's like, I got a phone call to make, and I'll get you an Arizona team. Sam picked up the phone, landed the Arizona team. We ended up getting a, a team out of southern Illinois and southern Indiana to do our first concept season where we actually had team versus team, state versus state, tournament-based type of thing. And uh, without Sam, and I'm going to say this on camera, this may not happen. Without a Sam Alvey, the Elite Amateur Fight League may have never wow. got off the ground. Sam was the guy who accepted us. He was a UFC fighter who people respected, who they listened to. And by him endorsing what we were trying to do, it helped us get to the next part. Well, hey, thanks, Sam, for making that happen. Sam Alvey, <laughs> smiling Sam Alvey. Yeah. So for as many Sams as there were out there, which seems like there's one, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, um, I'm sure you had plenty of haters. Right? Oh, people, people telling you to quit or why continue this? Yeah. You know, how, how, did, how did you handle that? How, how does one just believe in, in yourself so much to the point where you have to tune those things out? Well, I think you, you came up the same way we're Marines, dude. Right, right. But there is no no. There is no maybe. There is no I can't. So it's just not part of your vocabulary. It's just not part of my vocabulary. And, yeah. and if I had a product where I was questioning the product, I think that – the, those no's ring a little bit more, but I know I have a solid product. Yeah. I know there's a multi-billion dollar market and industry that's missing this part of its core, right? And because I believe in that so much, those no's, I just went right through them. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't care. Uh, and, and then a lot of people tell you no because it's not, it's not right for them. Doesn't mean it's not right for you. Yeah, it means it's not right. But for But they'll them. impose on you anyway. Right. Yeah, it <laughs> happens. How, yeah, it yeah. happens. But so so now you have. I mean, this is a business that you're running. I mean, it's yep. just like any other business. It's a corporation, and and you're looking now for some investment too, right? And people can be a part of that. Yeah. So we started, like I said, we're we're going into the fourth season, and we've bootstrapped it all. 
Uh, I told you the first year we lost fourteen dollars. I know, which is still good. Which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. it's awesome. Fourteen dollars for a a four team, you know, televised league. I'll take it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, season two we lost a little bit more. Season three, nine hundred and seventy five percent revenue growth. Wow. Right. So now we're to the point where we've proven our, our concept. We know how to make money with it. We know that it's needed in the industry. We know that television channels want to put it on. It's, it's, it's some of the most engaging content, MMA in, in its own right, that you can put on television. And, and now in the COVID era, it's one of the sports that can actually pull it off. Yeah. Right? So Dana's proven if you do it this way and do it safely, we can have events every week. He's been doing it for months. The NBA and the NFL, and, the, and they, they just got started. This guy's been doing it for months. Yeah, yeah. So following that and knowing that content is worth more than it's ever been, uh, live sports content is r- tough to come by right now. We're ready to move on to the next level. 975% revenue growth, a demand in the market, an industry that needs what you do, it's time to scale. And unfortunately, I don't have any rich uncles. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a, a Fertitta as a friend. Right. So, uh, you know, we're reaching out and, and immediately, we did get a lot of offers from private uh, investors early on, but they didn't get the concept. They wanted to turn the product over really quickly. I know this is going to take me 10 years to build. I didn't want to promise them we would sell this thing in two years, sure. which they're all looking to do. Yeah, and yeah, everyone. That's what the... Right. And our model is way different than, than most models for a business, right? We're building a sports league. Sure. And um, so we kind of turned away investors early. And then we got approached by uh, WeFunder, which is an equity crowdfunding platform that allows non-accredited investors to invest in your company for as little as $100. So they don't have to be rich millionaires. They don't have to invest $20,000 at a time. They can invest $100. We've raised $67,000 on WeFunder from our fans, which is important to me. Yeah. These are normal people like you and I that came from the south side of Chicago, yeah. that, whose fathers worked at a steel mill maybe, or they're police, or they're, you know, they're normal people uh, and, and they can invest and own a piece of a sports league. And that's rare for, for this industry. Extremely. I mean, they're turning away millionaires on the NBA <laughs> saying, you're not good enough to own an NBA yeah. team. But yeah. I'm saying, if you have 100 bucks, you can own part <laughs> of the Elite Amateur Fight League. And I really love that part of equity crowdfunding, giving everyday people the opportunity to own a piece of this league is, is awesome. That is amazing. Well, I mean, that's uh, everything that you've said so far has been a, an amazing ride to get to this point even. And for people just to kind of latch on now to, to your success is – it's pretty awesome and an opportunity that it's that an opportunity wefunder.com check it out you can't pass this one up um, you know it seems like you have so much going on you got a lot more to look forward to i'm excited to not only have shared this part of the story yeah. but also you know what's to come next and, and to have you back oh awesome well you're gonna sit cage side at the next fight right well, he's let me know when when i can have fans yeah. <laughs> yeah. you may have to take a covid but, test or, but you'll or, be there. or put a, a silhouette of me there right something you know, print out or something the, the, there. the, uh, the cardboard <laughs> the, cut the cardboard cut out yeah they've been doing someone's i saw someone snuck in like uh, osama bin laden over there and uh i seen and, that yeah. there was a couple the funny game, ones yeah. Yeah. So, yeah yeah it's hilarious but no 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 um thank you and yeah love to love to partake in in a in a entertainment of any kind yeah whether right. it's live or whether it's on uh, on video so I'm excited for it well thanks for having me man i appreciate it no thank you brother